What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. Thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Or not shocking. That's the cliffhanger. What a tease. Exciting. <laughs> It'll either be shocking or not shocking. That has something to do with our if, our thought experiment, our thought experiment that we'll be running with today. Get that coffee going. It's Friday morning on the East Coast. It's 42 degrees in New York City, and we're here with uh, Matt and Phil in the morning. <laughs> it is, in fact, 42 degrees right now. So is it? No like, way. Yeah. Wow. Suspicious. Yeah. But I guess. Some psychic insight. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The spirit of Douglas Adams lives. Uh, <laughs> um, with me, uh, I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker and lapsed scientist and now podcast host. And um, I am here with... Uh, Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University, a historian of science and time lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, time duke, maybe. I don't time know. duke. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, how's it going in the West Village uh, today? Uh, it is a relatively calm day. Um, I haven't encountered any um, naked people or uh, uh, mu- aggressive musicians. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I said pretty quiet. The protests probably won't start for another hour or so. Oh, all right. Yeah. 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 That is life in the village. It's very exciting. I used to live over there. I did enjoy it. Uh, over here in uh, Brooklyn, also relatively quiet and 42 degrees, as we just learned. But in Sweden, Right now, um, we here we have a we have a missive we have a communique <clears throat> a cable c- coming in from uh, one of our uh, best and most devoted listeners Lars in Sweden. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to read a little email we just got from Lars. Uh, Lars tells us uh, first he begins very cheerily, uh, "Hello, fellow thinkwanots." I like that. So he's very I guess very good. Uh, I have, for the last few weeks, celebrated Jule in the Swedish winter warmth. Jule. Do you know what Jule is? Is, is that I do not. J-U-L-E. No. It's a, I guess a Swedish thing. And then he says, uh, it's about <laughs> minus 10 to minus 17 degrees C, or 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Things have been mildly interesting. At the present temperature... The society as we know it <laughs> slowly crawls to almost a halt. See, now this is interesting. What we're getting here is a real, I believe, inside look into Swedish life. From the outside, we, you know, my image of Swedes is that, oh, it gets super cold, it's frigid, they practically live on the North Pole, and they're fine with it, right? They, you know, they just they don't complain. But but uh, Lars is revealing kind of the more human side here that we didn't know about. And he continues, um, Trains start to break down. Roads become 
exciting places to spin one's vehicle around its axis like an Arabian dervish. (laughs) (laughs) I find it fascinating how we humans still manage to be punched in the face by sub-zero temperatures every winter season. We are competent enough to grasp that the cold is slowly creeping up on us, but still too incompetent to prepare ourselves to deal with it. And when the white stuff hits the fan, everyone starts complaining, sounding like an Italian from the Bronx. So I, I think there's a, there's a bit of a cultural, I don't know, uh, gap there. Uh, that could be, yeah. Um, that's a lot of existential but that's for first thing in the morning. I gotta say, exactly. But now that does, so it is, it is that is Swedish, right? When I think of angst, I do that's think. true. Well, you know, that's a good point. That's yeah, right. yeah. If you want angst, watch some Swedish movies that takes place in the winter time. Um, so, he, but uh, but Lars has a great uh, if for us this week. And so, before I read that, Matt, could you um, explain to the uninitiated? Perhaps we have some other Swedish people. Or we may have, I, I, I know we actually have some listeners from Australia who are experiencing the complete opposite end of the uh, oh, yeah, seasonal right. spectrum. And they're wondering, what's going on? Um, that's tough. We get people from both poles uh, yeah. <laughs> worrying about these sorts of things. Um, uh, but uh, essentially what we do here is um, we decide we're dissatisfied with reality in, in the way that Lars is dissatisfied with uh, the atmospheric temperature. Um, the difference here is that we can do something about it. Um, we, we change something we don't like about reality uh, and then see where that gets us. Right. Uh, and sometimes that gets us to a better place. Sometimes we end up destroying the universe. Um, uh, but nonetheless, this is the place where one can relatively safely um, uh, change the world uh, and maybe learn some science along the way. Exactly, exactly. So, so we, we, we run a thought experiment every week. And by the way, as, as, I, as I note on our webpage, whattheif.com, where you can hear all of our previous episodes, um, a, a little, little slogan, a little tagline I came up with was, learn science like Einstein did, oh, which nice. is very poor English. But <laughs> sorry, right. Einstein's English wasn't so great. Exactly, either, so, yeah. exactly. But he, he, he famously, like many scientists, but he, he ran thought experiments. Hmm? which is what we're doing here. Yeah, he was particularly good at it. Yeah, yeah. And so Lars asks, Lars has a, has a great idea for us. And by the way, you, if you're listening right now uh, and you have an idea or if you come up with an idea as we listen to this show, um, if you have a thought experiment you'd like to see us run, um, you don't have to know where it goes. In fact, it's best you don't. Just some idea, something you'd like to start, a question, an idea. Send it to us like Lars did. And uh, we may run with it. Um, you can just go to whattheif.com and send it to us there. Uh, Lars says, what if we never figured out electricity? And he continues, a modern society without electricity could present great difficulties, but also perhaps a few perks? Question. Um, the world would still be depending on fire for everything we use electricity for today, which would make the demand for burning wood spike through the roof and pollution increasing a greenhouse effect. So he's doing a mini, he's sort of, he's sort of, sort of sketching out, he's running the thought experiment very quickly in his mind as a first attempt here. Um, the greenhouse, what if the greenhouse effect then uh, caused increasing temperatures at the same rate as a Finnish sauna? So I, think that, <laughs> I think that's throwing some shade at the Finns. At the Finns, yeah. There's, Next, there's a fair bit of tension among the various Nordic folks, yeah. Yeah. Would it be a steam, would, would it have to be steampunk? He says, uh, 
Or would it make it so that humanity would have to live more in tune with nature? So many questions, many questions, and we don't know. So I think we have to start the experiment. So before we start the experiment, there is some safety protocols we ask you to um, adhere to. So Matt, uh, like the uh, stewards and stewardesses on the plane, could you give us a little safety well, here. I, I guess in this particular circumstance, um, you don't need to worry about uh, electrical shielding. Um, so that's probably good. Um, but uh, if we're doing a lot of, of wood burning, that probably means splinters is uh, an issue. So I'd Ooh. say put on your thick work gloves um, and keep some Bactine nearby. <laughs> Bactine. <laughs> it's a sponsor, babe. Sponsor. Bactine, not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> and get ready as we play the fanfare to open the gates to the alternate future that comes to us from Lars as we ask, what? The if. Humans, that's us, had never discovered electricity. Shocking, not shocking. Shocking, lack of shocking. Lack of shock. Shocking, lack of shock. No electricity. The first thing I could say is no, no podcasts. So, or we could think of how, how are podcasts, how would podcasts have to be done without electricity? You know, ponder that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's actually, let's see here. So sort of a vague, vague awareness of the phenomena that nowadays we call electricity mm. is actually pretty old. Um, so like the, uh, the Greeks, uh, knew the, the following strange phenomenon. And this is one of these things where I'm like, how did anyone ever notice this? Um, if you take a piece of amber, you know what amber is? It's this, you know, sort of solidified tree sap. Right. Um, it's a pretty, it's a, a sort of a pretty orange rock. Um, uh, if you take it and you rub it with a piece of cloth, um, then it makes your hair stand on end. When it's oh, really? <laughs> it's um it's a weird phenomena so i don't know who was going around rubbing pieces of amber with cloth but somebody did aristotle um, would it, would well so aristotle actually lists this uh, he knew about it but he listed right. it as one of the things that essentially we can't understand um ah, so like magnets and this phenomena are just like this is a thing that happens but it's clearly not accessible to philosophical investigation so just kind of leave it to the side um so people are vaguely aware of it um uh, electrical eels also people mm -hmm. are, are aware of um but that's pretty much it um uh, essentially until uh, the 18th century um and one of the big um uh, let's see here, uh, breakthroughs, I guess, in terms of people paying closer attention to, to this phenomenon. Um, it was this weird Italian guy named Alessandro Volta, um, from which we get the, the word volt. Um, and again, one of these things where it's best not to ask too many questions. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was hanging freshly cut off frog legs on um, metal hooks. Um, As you do. As you do, right. Um, and he found that when, um, 
uh, he would have these disembodied frog legs hanging off of the hooks. When there was lightning storms nearby, the frog legs would twitch. And he was like, oh, well, that's interesting. (laughs) That's that's a thing I want to know more about. Um, uh, So he he got this idea that there must be something in the electric in the lightning, which might be connected to this weird thing with um, the electricity from eels, which might, which must be related to sort of how, how living things move um, because the frog is dead. Right. Mm -hmm. But whatever this phenomena is, makes it move as though it's alive. Um, So the, the initial interest in electricity um, is actually through this vein of trying to understand like the nature of life. Wow. Um, is this where the Frankenstein... That is exactly from? right. So yeah. Frankenstein follows um, quickly on from this. Mm-hmm. So the people who are investigating electricity early on are not doing electrical experiments as we know them. They're doing things like, um, yeah, trying to reanimate dead frogs wow. and hypnotize people, right? So mesmerism is actually a kind of early electrical experiments as well. How do you hypnotize um, somebody with electricity? Well, that's so the, the idea is that, you know, hypnosis is a thing, right? You can do it mm-hmm. to people, but it's obviously a form of electricity. Um, and exactly <laughs> in what sense that is obvious is, is, <laughs> is unclear. Um, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's a pretty neat, thing that people are thinking about. I said, this is the 18th century. Uh, and if you want to know more about this, there's a wonderful book by the historian Alison Winter called Mesmerized um, mm. that digs into this in great detail. And uh, it's, a, it's a really fun book um, cool. that you should read if you're interested in this. Yeah. So I think our, our point of departure can actually be pretty um, straightforward. Um, Volta trips and falls on one of his hooks himself <laughs> and dies. Um, uh, so people never get interested enough in um, in twitching frog legs to to pursue this. So I think so we it's hard to erase all awareness of electrical phenomena, but I think it's not hard to derail the the kind of sudden and in increasing interest in electricity that that leads to to modern technology. Yeah. Um, so uh, and and it's it's um you know, ancillary enough, enough on the side of, of, um, of physics and chemistry for a long time that it's not hard to, to drop it. Um, so, so let's see here. So what have we got? So it's late 18th century. It's the industrial revolution. Um, people are building steam engines and putting them to use, um, uh, uh first, you know, pumping out coal mines and then eventually people realize that they can, um, strap those, uh, steam engines, onto carriages and make railroads um, and put them in factories and make widgets cheap um, and give gainful employment to Dickensian orphans. Um, so the Industrial Revolution, as as you think of it, you know, clanking steam engines and factories, pretty much goes ahead untrammeled, I think. Right. Nobody, nobody really needs electricity for, for any of those sorts of things. Right. Um, and uh, let's see here. So... I think one of the other important and now totally obsolete technological revolutions that happens in the, the 19th century is relevant here. Um, and that is uh, the distribution of lighting. That is, lighting becomes common both on streets and in homes. 
And we're used to thinking about lighting as coming from electricity, but that's not actually what's going on here. Rather, it's gas, right? So mm -hmm. um, gas lighting becomes extremely widespread long before electricity, which I mean decades, um, long before electricity is common. So the, the gas that um, people use for lighting is first off, um, what's called coal gas. So if you take a chunk of coal and you heat it up, um, it gives off uh, this gas, which burns um, very brightly. So uh, there are these giant factories that get set up in which people cook the coal and they get the gas and then figure out ways to distribute it through pipes to, say, streetlights and homes. Oh, wow. um, so much of the, the, the European and American world um, is lit. People have lighting on command in their homes um, with gas, with these gas systems. Um, it's oh, essentially so that's, yeah. that's coal. I didn't realize. I always thought it was natural gas or kerosene or something like that. Yeah, natural gas comes about quite a bit later. Huh. Um, uh, and I actually just this week with some students read a uh, a book called The Extraction State about <laughs> the history of natural gas. If you're interested in that, um, and one of the interesting things about that story is natural gas is a um, an accidental byproduct of pumping oil. And for a long time, people have no idea what to do with it. Um, so even though coal gas is, is kind of a pain to make, um, it's much easier to, to use than, um, uh, than natural gases. Right, right, right. Uh, but basically, everybody has everybody who can pay for it, I should say, it's, it's relatively expensive, can get um, lighting on command in their house. Um, it's still open flame. So it's a wee dangerous. Um, it's also a wee explosive. So if your if your gas system is not kind of up to snuff, uh, so to speak, it can be extremely dangerous. Um, so uh, there's you know a good number of fires and um, explosions uh, that comes along with it. Uh, but you know that's worth it to be able to do your crossword puzzle at night. Um, yeah, so absolutely. This. Actually, this is before crossword puzzles are invented. So I have to pick some other. <laughs> I don't know, fun 19th century entertainment. I think. Um, so we still have factories. Um, we still have light. Um, the burning uh, coal gas is smelly and just a little poisonous. Um, it also induces um, hallucinations. Oh, which is good fun. Wow. Um, um, partially that's because of the gas and partially that's because carbon monoxide um, induces hallucinations. Um, have you ever had um, uh, carbon monoxide poisoning? This, no. this happened to me when I was when I was young, actually. Really? Um, it's a it's a very strange sensation, I think. And I don't know if hallucination in general is like this, but everything just seems so obvious, even though it's also clearly not true you know you're you're hearing noises you know like, oh well that must be the rhinoceros in the next room <laughs> um uh it, it is sometimes pointed out i should say that um the let's how to say it um the modern sort of haunted house i don't know mm -hmm. framework or sort of story type appears at exactly this time too oh, um, so it's suggested that as people are pumping lots of um, toxic hallucinogenic gases into their home, yeah. suddenly people start saying, oh, yeah, I heard a ghost in the next room. Um, so there's some suggestion that That's maybe these what, things are linked. <laughs> is this at all around the time of surrealism? Just, uh, it is just before surrealism. Okay, yeah. so that also right. I was thinking, you know, could be another reason for 
the surrealist um, breathing but gas. this is this is you know the era of um uh holding seances in your mm-hmm. your living room for fun and things so it's a great spiritualist era yeah. too yeah um so i guess that will probably remain the best lighting source i don't know right mm. up to the present i guess mm. right mm. we would probably still be using gas lighting uh-huh. um which amongst other, so the cities would generally be smellier, um, homes would be smellier, um, and full, full of kind of nasty smoke on a regular basis too. But yeah. if you, if you want your lighting at night, you do what you got to do. Right. And this is why cities like London, many cities, right. were constantly shrouded in smog. Yeah, that's right. So partially from gaslighting, but also heating. Um, if, mm. uh, if your heating systems are just coal, burning in your living room um then you get these uh, the terrible pollution and really nasty smog um which does kill people in large numbers yeah in yeah. the 19th century right? yeah. the great fog of london um so yeah so heating is probably still coal um lighting is still um gas uh so the i guess things are going to start looking different in the late 19th century which is about when electricity in our universe starts becoming widespread mm-hmm. um so factories are still um you know still run with steam engines rather than electricity um uh and we're probably going to power those with coal um because so we need lots of coal because we need yeah. it for the coal gas oh actually i should say um, there was another lighting source that popped up mid-19th century too and that's whale oil oh um so uh, huge, huge amounts of human effort go into hunting down sperm whales. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, Herman Melville, if you think of, of Moby Dick yeah. and such. So people would get on these gigantic sailing vessels and spend years at sea hunting down whales so they can suck the oil <laughs> out of their skulls and then bring it back. So if you, I just, I don't know, the, the scale of, of industrial era whaling really staggers me mm. um, that people would travel tens of thousands of miles and spend years on a ship and sometimes just frankly go insane so they could bring back this clean burning oil as opposed to the, uh. the kind of nasty coal gas um, that, that we used. Uh, so we would probably hunt um, whales to extinction mm. much faster mm. um, than, than we did in, uh, in our, our world. Um, so I guess that's kind of nasty. Coal mine. So I think probably coal mining is going to accelerate rapidly. Um, wood is actually not such a great source for running steam engines. Um, mm. although I should say that the Nordic, the, the Swedes work really hard at both, um, building steam engines that can run on wood, oh. um, and also building steam engines out of wood. Um, wow which is kind of a crazy because they don't have a lot of coal and they don't have a lot of iron. And they're like, we're Swedes. We build things out of wood. We'll, <laughs> wow. we'll, we'll make steam engines. Um, uh, but for obvious reasons. Um, and they're uh, probably really doesn't. beautiful too. Very minimalist. That's right. Yeah. Beautifully yeah. handcrafted sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, but of course, if you pump lots of hot steam onto wood, it swells and breaks. So it doesn't, <gasps> the, the whole project doesn't work very well. Wow. Um, uh, so coal, yeah, so we're going to mine coal faster um, and burn it in larger amounts. Um, we still 
oil will probably still oil and gasoline will still become important fuels. We don't really need electricity mm. um, for any of those sorts of things. Uh, so we're still going to build cars. Um, well, I was wondering about cars because yeah. cars have spark plugs. Yeah, that's right. And before spark plugs, they had these hand crank things, um, which were usually electrical. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. What's a good source for getting a spark if you don't have? Well, you just have a, a steam powered battery. Wouldn't, wouldn't you just have a steam powered car? Um, so that's an easy solution. Yeah, and there yeah. were such things. The problem yeah. there is that steam engines are very heavy. Yeah. Um, so your it's your car is not going to go very fast. Um, I'd have to think a little bit about, I mean, you can, cause you can make sparks in lots of other ways, like with flint and steel, mm, mm, um, mm. or just a, a flame, <laughs> a flaming stick, right, um, right, right. it would also start things off. It might be hard to, because uh, internal combustion engines, you need to have the, the, the timing on your explosions has to be very regular and that yeah. might be hard to do. Yeah. So yeah, it might be that internal combustion engines don't, don't take off the same way. Um, so, yeah, so probably more emphasis on railroads mm -hmm. and less personal cars. Mm -hmm. um, so is that good for the environment in the long run? Mm, I'm not sure because we're still, coal is still a really good fuel for the kinds of power sources we have um, along the way. Right. Um, but the, I guess the really important question is, as you said at the, the top, um, podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, is really what it comes down to. Um, so if we want to think about transmitting sound, uh, right. no telegraph, right. no telegraph, which means no um, telephone. Um, so getting sound from point A to point B is harder. Um, but you can build a pretty decent um, sound recording device that doesn't require much electricity. That is, oh. that is only mechanical as far as that goes. So like the early, um, wax cylinder systems, right, right, um, are right. almost completely mechanical. I right. think you could replace the, the electro, um, magnetic, um, portions with just mechanical things. Well, like a Victrola um, is all mechanical, right? There's no, exactly right. You just, yeah, you just crank it up and it runs on spring power essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we can still have purely mechanical sound recording um, devices. Um, there's there's strange things that happen, like it's it's hard to um, to copy wax cylinders from wax cylinders. So mm. typically, each wax cylinder recording is unique. Um, so mm. you would you would sing your song and they uh -huh. would record it on one cylinder and then right. you would sing it again and they would record it on another cylinder and you would sing it again and they would record. So Whoa. if you, so if you wanted to make 10,000 copies of Britney Spears toxic, you wow. would have to have her sing it 10,000 times. Wow. Um, which they might be cool with, right? Yeah. That might work out <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, it's a little time consuming, but then everybody gets a unique recording. So that's kind of neat too. That's interesting. Wow. But now records are like a uh, record platter is still, you know, in other words, with a Victrola. Also purely mechanical. Yeah, yeah. you play a 78 record. And, yeah. um, so getting a podcast would be fun because, funny because uh, essentially, you know, it'd have to be delivered, right? Um, be like the old record club. Um, you'd That's get your, your, yeah, um, your record, record of the week. Like the um, CB Colum Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I had, to, had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you join the What the If uh, record club, and uh, you get a new LP or new seventy-eight um, record uh, every uh, week, and um, <laughs> you know that's how it is. Um, yeah, that's totally so. In the same way, they used to have you know milkmen who would um, yeah deliver yeah. your milk every day. Yeah. You, there would be podcast men um, yeah. who delivered your. Uh, your podcast. Yep. Um, I don't know. Is once a week enough? Yeah, probably once a week is enough. Um, so you would need a pretty substantial logistical supply chain um, by which your podcasts were delivered um, right. uh, each week. Um, I suspect listening to that, uh, listening to those would probably be a little more communal than it is today, right? You yeah. would not just sit with your um, with your phone under the covers and listen to the podcast by yourself, right. but you would gather around um, <laughs> the, the family and the friends to listen yeah. to the podcast for the week because Absolutely. no radio, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. this, so yeah, so you would get, uh, I'd be interested to see if um, audio news delivered weekly would replace newspapers. Uh -huh. um, yeah. Would people be more interested in listening to the news than reading the news if um, if it wasn't convenient in the way that radio is? Well, probably the one thing I can imagine is the panic, you know, that as soon as this system is developed and people start delivering, you know, records, suddenly now you can listen to the news on a record. All the people say, this is the end of journalism. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Newspapers are going out of business. Yeah, and they would probably be correct, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested to know, uh, to see which way that goes. Yeah. Well, it's also, it's one reason why, you know, also, um, uh, people went to see newsreels in theaters. Like that was mm -hmm. their, uh, the, the newsreel itself had to be physically delivered. I mean, the, the projectors were using electricity, but of course you can do, well, they used to do magic candle shows or slides, you know, projections, um, in theaters before electricity. But anyway. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because actually I was thinking, can we have, can we have movies? Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, our, um, our worlds, um, both sort of receptor cameras, uh, film cameras and projectors were electrical, electrically driven, mm -hmm. um, and electrical lights for the projection, but you can get a good, oh no, sorry. I was about to say you can get a good, um, projection from an arc lamp but that's electrical too oh no you can do old school all right so this is yeah. still doable we can do it yes um uh old school limelights um oh. so the the you know the phrase in the limelight oh. comes from an actual kind of light called a limelight um oh. in which powdered limestone was burned and made extremely bright lights wow. from this um and uh, you can you can start that reaction electrically, but you can also do it just chemically too. Huh. You can just set fire to the, the limestone that burns very bright. Right. Um, it's big and again, dangerous and hot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think we can make it work. Um, so the, uh, so the, the, the application for this and why that we have the phrase, the limelight was for old school 19th century theaters, yeah. um, in which spotlights were, were driven by these, these, um, these chemical reactions. It's cool. So I think we can use that, uh, basically a, um, a purely, a purely mechanical projector. Yeah. Mechanical um, projector. So somebody has got to crank it, yeah. um, and someone has to, to keep the lime powder burning. 
Um, but yeah. other than the occasional burning down of the theater, I think we can we can still have movies. Right. Well, which actually was a thing they had. It, it was a problem anyway, because the film was very flammable, especially oh, in the early right. days. Yeah. And they were using these incredibly bright and hot um, lights for projection and things like that. Um, actually, I have to look at, I, I feel like the uh, early cameras were also mechanical. You just cranked it, you know, um, like the yeah, the early, early ones. I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. Um, um, now the question is, this is essentially a cyberpunk world, right? How uh, far steampunk, right? a steampunk, sorry, <laughs> steampunk. Yeah. No cyber. <laughs> um, could we have cyber, however? So Charles, uh, right. the, the Charles Babbage in, invented or designed this mechanical computer, right? Um, and those who, any of our listeners, by the way, who may be interested in learning more about the history of Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, who was his, uh, uh, this collaborator of his who wrote, uh, some early computer programs for his machine. Uh, we have an episode where I, uh, had, uh, Ada Lovelace, uh, as, uh, our, my guest through the yeah, magic of 150 years after her death. Exactly. Impressive, yeah. Yeah. It's very good. Um, but, uh. We could have mechanical, I mean, it basically showed that we could have mechanical computers, right? Uh, yes, that's right. And in fact, by um, the late 19th century, uh, people were building um, mechanical computers. Yeah. Um, uh, I was kind of, they look kind of like typewriters. Um, and by the 1920s or so, they were, I don't know, I was about to say relatively common. That's probably too strong a term. Right. Um, but professional astronomers and accountants and such had mechanical computers um, where you would crank them and they would and they would spit out the answer. And they were uh, they worked pretty darn well. Um, mm. They could do certain kinds of calculations much faster and more reliably um, than humans could. So uh, I would imagine those become more widespread um electrical computers really only become a thing for world war ii era calculations mm. for for military purposes um but i think we would just make our mechanical calculators better yeah um the the big question you know if we want a cyber world we we need to have not just um mechanical computers but the ability to transmit the data quickly right. from place right. to place. Right. And that, I don't know, you know, the, the best system probably that we can do is the old school punch cards. If you remember those. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. So data and programs used to be stored mechanically on pieces of paper. Well, cardboard, I guess, mm -hmm. um, uh, that had holes punched in them. And that's how the data was stored and transmitted. And in fact, you could, so if you wanted to get data from point A to point B, um, you would make all of your punch cards and you would stick them in a big box and then you would carry the big box from place to place um, and then load the punch cards into your mechanical computer in place B. Um, and that's how you got data from place to place. So you can actually, well, I'd have to calculate what the actual transmission rate of data is. Um, I wonder how fast you can, let's see if somebody has done this calculation for me. Well, that's, that involves actually physically carrying. That's exactly right. So uh, I wonder if there's a system of, here's two, two things I have in mind. One okay. could be pneumatic tubes which were built in some cities, oh, right? right? Yeah. So pneumatic tubes, were sh and, and you see a lot of that. In, there's great stuff like that in the movie Brazil. 
<laughs> you see like a yes, Terry Gilliam right. imagines a world where everything is done by pneumatic tube. And um, another idea might be just simply <laughs> pulleys or, you know, physical cables that, um, you know, pull. In other words, you could, you could do like a telegraph, but instead of sending it electrically, the, the clicks and, you know, the dots and dashes, it would just be you literally pull a, a, a pull a wire, you know, like in, in, in those giant mansions like Downton Abbey or something, somebody upstairs <laughs> pulls, a, pulls a little lever and a bell rings downstairs just connected by a pulley. Could you do that across the entire world? Well, let's see. Here. There'd be so, a lot of wires. Uh, that's right. It is. Um, uh, it's very hard to transmit the that kind of force very far, which is why, mm, as you say, mm. they had those great old um, pneumatic systems. And those pneumatic systems were got pretty big. Like there were ones that crossed and crossed Manhattan essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably so. Across a city is probably about the limit of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's see here. So those, one of those old cards held about 80 bytes of data. Um, and a mechanical computer could process about a thousand of those per minute. I'm doing some, some fast Googling here. Yeah. So let's call that 8,000 bytes per minute. Um, so that's eight kilobytes per minute. Um, uh, so that's, uh, that's pretty slow. <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying to think, um, I'm trying to, our, our speeds these days. Um, so let's see here. You're probably on a, a DSL system, right? Gigabit. Yeah, that's right. So a good system these days, if, if you want the internet per se, yeah. you need gigabits, which is per second. Right? Yeah. Uh, so a kilobyte is one millionth <laughs> of a gigabyte. So basically, so if we wanted a steampunk mechanical calculator driven pneumatic tube data sending system it's going to be about one millionth the speed of the modern internet right. um so uh let's see so if i if i can right now download a cat video in one second <laughs> um right so your how long is one million seconds <laughs> is the cat alive or dead at the end that's of the about transmission? 11, 11 days so i okay. need to wait so it's about one one second of modern internet time takes about two weeks to deliver. Excellent. Um, so is that worth it to wait two weeks for a cat video? Yeah, I think. So. I mean, think how exciting yeah. that would be. That's right. That would be that would be so exciting, right? right. So, um, yeah. So our grandparents sat around waiting for a podcast on Victrola. We right. sit around waiting for the pneumatic tubes yeah. to deliver our cat videos. Right. Um, and then, and then we call all our friends over and we have a big cat video watching party because everybody has been waiting two weeks for it. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And if, if, so my group of friends, I think we would probably divide things up. So I get the cat video delivered. Um, and then you get the podcast delivered. <laughs> um, and then somebody else has the, uh, let's hear what else do people spend their internet? doing i don't know it's pretty much just podcasts and cat videos right what yeah. else do people look at yeah. no that's pretty much it well that's facebook it. 
I guess that's right. Yeah. So wait a couple of weeks for the update from yeah. your cousin who you haven't seen in 20 years. Right. Um, right. Letting us know. Two weeks later, you get car. You get one like, you know, click one thumbs up comes. That's right. You get the thumb up comment. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. So I post saying, um, yeah, I love that cat video. And then somebody likes it and it takes, you know, a week for that to get to me yeah. in a week from there. Um, so I guess internet culture is probably um, not quite as dynamic as it is today. Yeah, yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. Right? It, um, uh, now, I just want to be clear. What exactly, when you say the cat video arrives by pneumatic tube, what you mean is that a pneumatic tube arrives in my house and there's a stack of punch cards in there. That's right. So for those of you who haven't seen the pneumatic tubes, they're, um, let's see here, maybe the size of like a one liter soda bottle. Um, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that would be full of cards. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's probably, I don't know, a few hundred bytes. So you take the cards out and you feed those into your mechanical computer that's in your living room. Yeah. And then instantly, as, as soon as you're done with that tube, another tube pops out and you have to take <laughs> the cards out of that and <laughs> right. stick them in the machine. Yeah. So I, so this is right. I have to spend the whole two weeks um, taking the cards out of the pneumatic tube system and yeah. feeding them into <laughs> yeah. my calculator. So it is actually a full-time job yeah. downloading um, cards. And you're right that I think the, the best visual representation of this is, is certainly Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Um, yeah. no, no one, no one comes close to, uh, to, to representing what that manic kind of experience would be. Yeah. Um, Do you remember, um, bank drive throughs used to uh, r yeah. run by these pneumatic tubes, mm -hmm. which was so weird. I remember it going with my parents when they would, we'd go to the drive through in the bank and you pull up into a little lane, like it was like a toll booth. It was quite a distance from the, well, not that far, but it was like two, two or three lanes yeah, from right. the building. Mm -hmm. And, um, they would send, you would open up this little machine that was right next to the car and inside was a tube and you put your check in there that you were depositing right. and then you put it in and then you hear this. <laughs> it would get sucked. Fantastic. Yeah, that's right. And if you wanted to withdraw money, you would have to fill out the withdrawal form. Yeah. You would write a piece of paper and put that in the tube and then it would shoop into the, into the building. Yeah. And then they would put your money into the tube and it would shoop back out to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's how ATMs used to be kids. That's um, right. They, All... they were neither, they were neither automated nor machine nor electronic. Exactly. All key. while you're burning, you know, gasoline in your car. <laughs> <Fossil> <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, that's right. So we've, we've got a world here where, um, you can transmit data, but the internet is, is, I don't know, a time intensive hobby, I guess is probably the way, right way to think about it. Right. It's probably the people who used to do ham radio, but we've got no radios here. Mm, um, mm, mm. so their hobby would be sending these punch cards back and forth. Right. Um, yeah, a few bytes at a time. Um, what do you think is the most high tech thing that you, we could do if we only had steam? Um, well, you know, we could still do lots of really interesting chemistry and materials ooh. science. I think, um, we don't need electricity for a whole lot of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's see here. So what kinds of, of cool stuff could we, have? you know, we could still have like polyester for instance, mm. which is great. Polyester is great. And we don't think of it as a high tech thing, but it totally is. Huh. Um, and in fact, maybe we would put more of our attention into chemistry and materials science, mm. um, uh, because we wouldn't have to be spending 
that kind of attention on things like making semiconductors. Um, mm. uh, so yeah, so I like the, the idea we'd have better um, uh, artificial fibers. It's hard. We 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 put so much of our civilization's attention and energy into electrically related things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we can still have uh, rockets and a space program. That's, I was wondering about that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. those are entirely chemical. The early rockets, um, you know, the guidance systems are mechanical. They're gyroscopes and things right. like that. Um, we're probably not going to go to the moon, although why the hell not, right? right? We can, <laughs> I mean, so the, the, the computers we needed for that are so, are so primitive, um, that I'll bet we can do that with mechanical computers, uh, without too much. Well, they even, it wasn't much of the space program was done with slide rules. Well, that's right. Yeah. yeah so maybe we've got to, to train people to do better yeah. calculations yeah. and not rely on electronics. And there's lots of stories from the early space program where the electronics failed um, right. Right. and uh, the pilots just did it themselves. So I think we can still put people into orbit. Well, in fact, um, all, all the way down, you know, in the last moments of landing on the moon, they kept getting this, the computer kept crashing. Over yeah, and that's over right. Yeah, yeah, Twelve oh two alarm. You know. Um, yeah, Neil Armstrong just did it um, by yeah. by feel. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, we would not be able to transmit images back from the surface of the moon, so mm-hmm. we would have to wait for them to come back with their um, opto mechanical cameras mm-hmm. and chemical film, right. uh, which would be so. That would be pretty exciting, actually. We would have no idea if they got there or not until they oh, got back. Interesting. Right? Um, so we would have to just wait a week um, until they're uh, suddenly they're, um, you know, their capsule either splashes down in the Pacific or doesn't. Um, that right. would be very exciting. To so wait, do you think, you know? is there, is, so radio is only possible with electricity. Yeah, that's right. Um, so communication satellites are out. Uh-huh. Um were I really wanting to to make this run, though, I would do the following. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say I don't know if this will work or not. Yeah, um, but it would be a fun experiment. The Stanley Plan. That's so, right. I'm going to put up a um, space station into orbit, uh-huh. um, entirely mechanically and chemically, um, and I'm going to give them some telescopes uh-huh. um, and some bright lights. And I guess the lights are still going to have to be like limelight, yeah, um, which yeah, is yeah. super da- super dangerous to yeah. have in orbit. <laughs> Um, and if I want to send a message to the other side of the planet, I'm going to flash. So here in New York, I'm going to flash a bright light, um, chemical light. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the people in the space station are watching and I will flash Morse code by light to them and they can watch my flashes and then they will flash my message down to Australia. Oh no, to Lars in, um, in Sweden. Yes. Uh, who's over the horizon, and he'll be watching carefully with his telescope for bright lights flashing in orbit. Yeah, um, and we could communicate poorly <laughs> yeah. by Morse code. So that's my version of a no electricity communication. That's satellite. great. Yeah, that's that's like what they do on ships, right? Or they did in, in the old yeah, movies in right. the navy. <laughs> um, I mean, this is there are some serious problems here, which is yeah. that my best light source is still a chemical burning. Right. explosion right. um so i have to put that the fuel for that chemical burning explosion into orbit um but that would be pretty cool that would be doable actually actually i am 
I, I have missed an important option here, uh, which is that I can build a nuclear reactor <laughs> without I, electricity. I was wondering about that. Yeah. 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 Um, so I can build an atomic bomb. Um, it would be, it would not be a very good atomic bomb. Uh-huh. Um, and I can build a nuclear reactor. Uh, you know, nowadays we use reactors to generate electricity. Mm-hmm. So the best I can do is generate heat. Right, um, right. But that's still pretty cool, right? That's that's a neat thing to be able to do. Um, well, in so fact, the, actually, nuclear, the nuclear reactor heats water, generates that's, steam. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. And then we nowadays we use steam. We use that steam to generate electricity. Right. Um, but we don't have to do that. We can just, we can use that steam. <coughs> Excuse me. We can use that steam to run our pneumatic tubes. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. our crappy nuclear bombs we can put in orbit and use those for signaling. Right. Actually, um, so obviously, you know, Morse code's going to get pretty messy if you're if you're if you're doing it with nuclear bombs. <laughs> but why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or I think uh, you could probably do things like you could have mirrors and reflect the sun. Uh, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good idea. Yeah. Um, you know, that has its own problems because that's only when you're on one side of the the earth but that's a lot that's a lot better than trying to run a chemical limelight yeah um yeah all right that's a good plan i dig that yeah and in fact actually and then again i guess along those lines um we're going there's a that's a good incentive um to use solar power for heating right we can't use it Mm. for electricity so it's not solar panels um, but you can capture solar energy for um, for thermal use pretty mm-hmm. easily, and probably for lighting as well. Right, actually, That'd right, be interesting. right. Cool. So this world. So uh, it seems like maybe to watch the uh, nightly news or the Olympics or something like that, everybody has a telescope in their home, maybe that's pointed up at some okay. satellite <laughs> in geosynchronous <laughs> orbit, fun. right? And everybody would have to learn Morse code to. Um, to interpret, yeah, everyone learns more code, is seeing, and which is great. Yeah. With everyone, here's here's the high the highlight, the, the the unintended consequence is that everybody has giant telescopes in their homes, and so there is a love and a and a skill level of astronomy that's unknown in in our world. Oh, everybody's nice, yeah. an astronomer, you know, because mm-hmm. they can use those telescopes to look at the sky when they're not, you know, watching um, TMZ. Morse code. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, lots of uh, amateur comet spotters out there. Yeah, um, yeah. uh, Which would be pretty great, right? So then the optics industry um, is very lively. Uh, With the downside that because we're burning so much coal um, for all of our various systems, um, pollution is terrible. (laughs) So, uh, so perhaps it's all well. Actually, yeah, that might be a problem because if pollution is so bad from all the coal then it's going to be hard to use our telescopes to see things in orbit. So maybe the first environmental movement comes from um, people who want to watch their cat videos. That's right. Uh, That's via right. Morse code. That's right. Um, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So actually, I suspect before global warming is an issue, actually um, light pollution would become an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would be an interesting, an interesting evolution of the environmental. Yeah. Era. Or more cynically, uh, people just begin to build taller and taller buildings and living at the top. They, they build a, they build skyscrapers. Essentially they can rise above the smog and they just let the whole world below the cloud, cloud level just 
go to Wally. Yeah, so that's crap. an interesting problem too, which is that then you need elevators. Oh, and right. You yeah. can have elevators without electricity, but you need to figure out. So then you've got a steam engine um, running your um, elevator, right. uh, which means more coal pollution. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> so then we get the the great cycle uh, feeding back on itself. Yeah. Um, and then when we run out of coal, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to run out of fossil fuels a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe at that point they'll say, you know, that electricity thing. Maybe is it, did anyone look into that? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody get those eels? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, amazing. Any what, what's your uh, what's your takeaway from this? Uh, scenario um, that's yeah what is the world like um i guess actually it is the steampunk world now that i think about it yeah. right it's yeah. it's um people are going to take their power sources that they have and um a- apply them deeply and thoroughly so it's we probably do have blimps running around um Lots of weird telescopes and pneumatic tubes. Um, I don't know. Maybe we need to go watch some some steampunk stuff. And, oh yeah, uh, and yeah. See what that see what that looks like. Yeah. Or you should go play Mist. Go play <laughs> Mist and watch a documentary about. <laughs> and Mist. watch a documentary about it that I am making uh, slowly. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, here, here's this. Uh, perhaps for a future, if it just strikes me as like, why why would they perhaps? Why would some world perhaps not have electricity? Do you need iron, for instance? Are there certain materials that if a planet didn't have it, they couldn't Um, make electricity? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, Iron's not so great. Copper Copper. is is good stuff. So actually, if we think back to Volta, he was actually wrong that it was the lightning um, that was causing the problems. It's that his, um, his hooks... And the his hooks were made of copper, ah. but the um, the metal he was the metal racks he was putting the hook on was zinc plated iron, <laughs> and it so happens that when you put zinc and copper next to each other, you get an electrical charge. So that's wow. actually what's making the frog leg twitch. Wow. Um, so you need yeah you need so, you need easy metals. So um, a, a planet that didn't have copper easily available near the surface would be mm. hard to, to build a, um, a civilization, an electrical civilization. Right. Yeah. So we may find steampunk aliens. That would be pretty cool. Might be out there. That. Might be out there. Well, thank you, Matt. This has been an extraordinary journey. And that thank you, Lars from Sweden for your uh, wonderful email and uh, all your updates from Sweden and all your ideas. Lars has sent in many ideas. Uh, so we'll, we'll be hitting more of those in the future. No doubt. Thank you, Lars. And um, yeah, I'll have to learn how to say thank you mm, in, mm. in Swedish. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to work on that. Um, uh, and thank you, as always, to our Patreon supporters, uh, all of you who've been listening. Uh, thank you. Uh, if you're not a member of Patreon and you want to know what benefits you could be getting, including special extended episodes that only Patreon supporters get, go to patreon.com slash what the if and find out uh, all kinds of gifts and bonus content and uh, a communal spirit of supporting science education that I think is unparalleled except, right. except on other podcasts. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for all your support, Patreon supporters. Um, Matt, oh, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug? Oh, um, 
No, I don't. Th I don't think anything urgent. Oh no, actually, that's not right. So let's see here. Um, I will be doing astronomy on tap events oh. um, on March nineteenth and twentieth here in New York City. Oh, fantastic! Um, so if you Google astronomy on tap, um, basically um, astronomy types get together in bars and other exciting environments um and uh and do stuff so i think these are both uh eclipse themed events right. um, uh, yeah so come join us for that Those are great oh ones. that's great that's great um and uh i can blog i'm uh, if you're interested if you are a documentary filmmaker which some of you are um out there in the audience uh and you're interested in learning about chat gpt and how it could uh, help you and how you can collaborate with ChatGPT uh, and make it work for you. Remember, you don't work for it. It works for you. When you want to find out more about that, I'm teaching a class uh, in chat, uh, how to use ChatGPT for documentary filmmaking uh, for all phases of your production. And you can find out more. And it's tomorrow. It's, it's online tomorrow. And we are also recording it. So if you're unable to attend, you can still register, uh, sign up for the class, purchase a, a registration and get the recording. It'll be a three-hour workshop that I'm doing, and uh, it's tomorrow from 12 to 3. Uh, that's uh, February 24th, Saturday, February 24th, from 12 to 3 Eastern. Find out more at uh, Philip, that's with one L, Philip Shane, S-H-A-N-E, philipshane.com slash class slash chat GPT. Check it out. It's sponsored by the D-Word uh, Documentary Community. Association. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a great name. Say what? What exactly? D word? It's a great name. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and the eclipse is coming. So if you haven't made your eclipse plans yet, go ahead and do that. Um, that's April 8th. So we'll be sure to keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on it, but it, but an eye shielded by, you know, welder's glass. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Matt, would you help our uh, audience understand uh, the, why we're doing a closing ceremony now? Oh, well, so we have to return to reality, which often is a little more painful than actually leaving reality in the first place. Um, but in this particular case, we are uh, uh, waiting by the pneumatic tube, and the tube shoots down, and we take out the cards, and we put the cards in the computer. Tube shoots down, put the cards in the computer. The next tube shoots down, and inside it is a, a small piece of plastic um, labeled floppy disk. And we look at it, and we hold it up to our chemical arc lights, and we shout, What the Thank you all for listening. Mind the tube. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>